So we've been <clears throat> practicing together for a, a couple of days now. And with the uh, question session this afternoon, really a sense of getting to know each other a little bit. Beginning to have a sense of each other's struggles and difficulties. And maybe also a sense uh, from that of the fact that we're not alone, that sometimes on retreat we can feel very isolated. We can feel that we're the only person struggling with particular difficulties. But then when people begin to ask questions about problems they're having, it can really be a, very helpful in just sort of thinking, well, I'm not the only one who has this difficulty. The sense of beginnings of a sense of community um, and um, supporting one another in, in, in that way. So I was very touched by people's willingness to ask questions about quite personal, quite difficult struggles. Uh, just a sense of trust and openness um, that enabled that. And uh, my sense is this is something that we really need to, to learn. Um, because... I don't know about you, but in my, in my upbringing, there was always a sort of slight sense that if something was wrong, something was difficult, uh, it was some kind of it was some kind of personal failure. <laughs> it represented that something was something was not okay with with me, um, and so I remember just going to quite some lengths to pretend that everything was fine. You know, there weren't any difficulties that. Um, to uh, not actually admit uh, to anybody that life was difficult. But in terms of our Dhamma practice, this is actually a, a necessity, a fundamental part of our practice, to be able to really be very honest about what's going on for us. Uh, you know, when there's a struggle with something, uh, just to begin to be able to um, acknowledge it and to, in a sense, almost as though we, we befriend it, you know, say, okay, there's this difficulty here. Uh, rather than try to push it down, push it to one side uh, and pretend it's not there. I think those of us who've been brought up in a situation where, where we become rather idealistic, we have a high ideals about how we should be. Um, like I was brought up in a Christian family and very strong emphasis on being kind and you know, not, not, getting, not being angry and being uh, gentle and uh, good being a good person <laughs> and you know, not having, uh, not being irritable or grumpy or um, jealous. And these things were, uh, 
I don't know if it was ever said that they weren't acceptable, but I always had the sense that they weren't acceptable. So when I began to be aware of these things arising, it was quite painful, um, <clears throat> quite difficult to acknowledge, because it seemed like some kind of personal failing. We can get very skilled at covering these things up. And uh, I remember when I first became a nun and was living in community, and as, I, as I've said at different times, you know, as we when we meditate, we become more sensitive. And I would try very hard to cover up if I was angry <laughs> or um, upset about something. You know, I would always try to kind of give the appearance of being completely all right. And there'd always be somebody who'd say, well, Chandasir is really angry about that, aren't you? <laughs> I said, no, I'm not. <laughs> uh, so, um, there's a quality of the Buddha, one of the, that we, that we um, recollect, that I, I particularly like. Um, the word is, the Pali word is loka widhu. Uh, loka is the world. Widhu is one who, one who knows, one who is wise to the world. And the way that I interpret this is that the Buddha is somebody who, who knows, who understands, uh, every aspect of our human predicament. You know, from the most wonderful, the most exalted conditions, uh, to the most hellish, the most awful uh, mind states or um, conditions that, as a human being, we can experience. Um, and you know, what makes the Buddha the Buddha is the, is, is, is the fact that he, he's aware, he, he, he knows these things for what they are. So to begin with, when I first began to reflect on that, I found it very... Um, a very uh, encouraging invitation to not be intimidated uh, by the difficult things that I experienced in my mind, um, you know, but rather to be like the Buddha, to, to be one who knows, who's willing to investigate, to explore whatever uh, arises in consciousness, whatever is kind of there in front of your nose, that you're willing to, to open to that, to acknowledge it. Uh, the other aspect of this, this quality of knowing, is that what the Buddha knows is also that these are simply conditions of the mind. They're not who and what we are, essentially, and that they are transient. They change, having arisen, they cease. So that too is helpful. don't have to turn it into an enormous burden or an enormous problem. <clears throat> I'm always rather grateful that um, the practice is about acknowledging it for ourselves and we don't necessarily have to admit it to anybody else. 
because some of the things that uh, as we practice that we have to um, acknowledge can be very uh, kind of humbling uh, almost humiliating you, you you sort of things that oh I really wouldn't want anybody to know that about me and uh, uh, and there's there's no demand that we bear our soul to the whole world that we that we um um acknowledge these things that have sort of like have bub- public confessions of these awful conditions that we've experienced uh but it is however very important that we're able to acknowledge it to ourselves uh and to be able to let go that we don't need to identify with these things that these are just conditions that we can learn from that we can study that we can investigate and learn from one of the things that makes this um openness uh bearable is um, kindness, kindness and compassion. Uh, when I first, you know, heard about the like the meta loving kindness, the way it was um, taught was very much about kindness towards other people. You know, we were taught to be. You know, I remember Ajahn Sumedho giving talks about how easy it is to be kind to sweet, adorable things, you know, fluffy pussy, little pussy cats and um, you know, lambs and <laughs> people who are very um, naturally endearing. It's not it's not difficult to be kind to those, but to be kind to uh, creatures that we're afraid of or human beings who are not. Um, behaving in a pleasing way, who don't appear to be pleasing and pleasant, um, who have like you know, who are rather coarse and awkward, uh, it it can be more difficult to be kind to to such to such beings. Um, so I used to reflect on this. Uh, and what I reflected on also was the fact that there were sometimes people who seemed absolutely fine in every way, and yet who I couldn't, couldn't, a, a sense of kindness and acceptance didn't arise very naturally. You know, there was something in me that kind of wanted to close off from them. And as I looked deeper into my own heart, what I began to uh, recognize was the fact that these people were actually mirroring qualities that I I had, or I, I was afraid that I had, that I didn't like in myself. It's quite a humbling thing to acknowledge you know, when you see somebody and you really don't like them. And then to think, uh-uh, Chandasiri, what's this about? And then to to just look and 
open and open and see that actually that's something I do. That's something that I feel, a quality that I feel that I have. Um, so I realized that my uh, metta bhavana, my, the cultivation of kindness, actually had to begin here. That until I'd uh, accepted uh, aspects of myself that were not immediately endearing or acceptable to me, um, I was not going to be able to uh, be open and accepting of these particular qualities in others. And what I found is that the more I can um, acknowledge of my own difficulties, my own sense of vulnerability, my own fearfulness, the more I can open to that and, and, and uh, take it on board uh, and accept it. And it's not necessarily that I particularly like it or feel it's great, but the more I can just acknowledge it, say, okay, Chandasiri, that's how it is. That's all right. Don't worry about it. <laughs> the more I can do that, in that, uh, that, uh, that enables me to be, to have a much, uh, broader, broader heart towards, towards others. Um, much more accepting, much more kind towards others. So a lot of the practice is, well, in my opinion, from what I've discerned in my own practice, a lot of it is about befriending ourselves. Uh, rather than, you know, liking the things that we do rather well, you know, rather good at this, rather good at that, we like that, but we don't like our weakness, we don't like our vulnerability, we don't like our fearfulness, uh, we don't like our shyness perhaps, you know, if we're shy, if we feel awkward, uh, don't like you know, the, the foolishness, don't like the, the um, pride. I remember my first retreat with Ajahn Sumedho and him asking me how I was doing and I might have said this already, actually, can't remember. But anyway, asking me how I was doing, and I so I said, oh, I'm really, it's really great. I love the monastic routine. And then bursting into tears and saying, but, but I've got all this pride, you know, sort of thoughts of of pride of being better than other people, and I really didn't like that. It wasn't a quality that I that I um, found acceptable. You know, I didn't didn't think it was okay to be proud or conceited. And uh, he went very quiet for a bit. The monk who was with him just looked at the floor. <laughs> <laughs> and then this incredible phrase came out. He said, it's not the pride that's a problem. It's the not wanting it. And that was a kind of one of those little kind of special moments, you know, the penny dropped. Yeah, that's the problem. It's the not, the, the failure, the, the lack of the capacity to accept um, certain uh, qualities. And this particular quality, I just didn't like it. Um, but then when we contemplate Lokawitu, the Buddha who knows the worlds, I found it enabled to me to, to take an interest in in every aspect 
of my character because I, I want you know it's, it's a way of learning about the human predicament you know we can only learn through our own experience you know people can tell us about their experience we can we can understand to some degree but unless we've actually experienced it ourselves and found a way through particular difficulties ourselves um, our capacity for understanding is quite limited as long as we identify with these uh, qualities or um, difficulties you know if we see it as like a personal failure about me um, that makes it much more difficult but when we look at it as just part of the human predicament then uh, it becomes less personal you know, even though it is to do with this this being here I don't have to worry about it because it's just something that's arisen because of conditions that have you know happened in my life uh, because of yeah conditioning experiences I've had um it's not a it's not it's not about um it's not a I don't have to take it personally but it's something I can learn about <clears throat> having acknowledged these things it's much easier to respond skillfully um, to them to um, you know, I was saying earlier um, about you know um, really taking care of ourselves not allowing ourselves to get overtired or too stressed you know, to really try to to take care of ourselves um, because there are times when we do feel irritable and grumpy and if we don't uh, make allowance for this then uh, when they arise it's quite likely that we're going to do or say something that is regrettable You know, hurt that, that might hurt somebody or we might make a complete fool of ourselves uh, you know which can be embarrassing uh, obviously we, we would prefer not to do that um, so I talk about like staying in touch keeping in touch uh, with what's going on within, within our own minds and bodies in order to, to live in, in the best possible way um, with the people that we live with, with the people that we have contact with, we interact with. So being able to acknowledge if we're feeling grumpy, irritable, um, not very well um, if we're feeling upset you know, some of the things that happen in our lives can be very upsetting 
Uh, we don't always want to acknowledge to anybody else why we're upset, because sometimes we're upset about very apparently trivial things. Um, but if we are upset, then we we need to acknowledge it to ourselves. So we can make allowances, taking care. We've all determined um, the eight precepts. And these are very um, valuable, uh, very valuable as a kind of protection because as long as we have these in mind, it's like a like a kind of safety rail. Um, so, you know, if we are feeling grumpy or upset or irritable or or whatever, or really even really angry about something, you know, if we become really um, enraged about you know a comment or a situation, um, just having the precepts. As part of our um, um, you know, something that we've determined, something we've got have very clear in our mind that this is something that we uh, we take very seriously, then the the chances of doing anything that is really uh, harmful are, are greatly reduced. We may want to do something really harmful, <laughs> but uh, when we reflect on the precepts and the reasons for the precepts, we realize, no, these precepts are for my welfare. These are to protect me. These are, these are a support to me, uh, to help me to not do anything that's going to make life even more difficult, even though I might want to. So it invites a different response uh, to the situations that we come up against in the world. Uh, The situations that come up against in our families or in our society. Uh, We may feel angry, we may feel really upset, we may feel really outraged. We may be absolutely um, overflowing with righteous indignation about everything that's wrong and have all kinds of very clear sense of justice and what's right and what has to happen. And, you know, when we're feeling like that, fired up, you know, the mind can be very, very clear, have a very clear sense. And then we can talk to other people and they... You know, they, 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 um, agree with us. And so our, our sense of being right is even, is reinforced. And, uh, then we might end up doing or saying something that is really unfortunate. You're really hurting somebody or, um, confusing a whole lot of people. Rather than just, um, recognizing the feeling of anger, of rage, and taking time to to ponder, to contemplate. Sometimes when 
we come to meditation, we think that all we have the idea that you know any thinking is is bad, is a problem, problematic. And certainly, if we're trying to just be with the breath, you know, calm, settle the mind, thinking does seem like a bit of a problem. <laughs> we don't want to have thinking in there. Um, you know, it's like the habitual thinking that that arises, whether we want it to or not. Uh, but there is a place for, for what we call wise reflection, contemplation. I call it pondering. I rather like that word, pondering, wise pondering. Um, you know, considering the situation, considering uh, the difficulty, whatever it might be. And then that's actually sort of taking it into the heart. That's what I like to do, take it into the heart. It's like... Um, Shedding, showing the, shining the light of Dhamma onto it. Yeah, so this is where uh, I find walking meditation particularly helpful. Because you know, living in community, you know, there are many problems that can arise. You know, difficulties you know, between people, difficulties between uh, the monks and the nuns, or the nuns and the lay people, or you know, problems with guests, or you know, somebody's sick or, you know, different things that can arise. And um, sometimes we have impossible situations that arise, or apparently impossible. And what I find is the best way of resolving them is just to get onto my walking path and to <clears throat> just allow um, allow a kind of pondering to happen. Um and often out of that, there becomes a, a, a clear sense of the way forward. You know, sometimes there's pondering, thought. Sometimes there's just actually being with the feet, touching the ground, being with nature. <clears throat> I call this like tuning into Dhamma, rather than relying on the intellect to solve all my problems. The intellect is very wonderful. It's a very wonderful tool, and it's you know it's great you know to have uh, you know uh, to be intelligent to be able to to work things out. But what I trust more is the um, capacity for discernment that arises when we tune into the Dhamma, when we align ourselves with Dhamma, when we come into the present moment. When we're fully present with a the situation, there's a sense of um, a much broader capacity for discernment <clears throat> and for finding a solution to a difficulty that we may not have been able to think about. It may be something that arises that we hadn't dreamt of. Or sometimes when I talk about... Um, in a way we've we've talked about kindness, but we also sometimes would talk about compassion um that is brahma viharas kindness compassion uh gladness or sympathetic joy and equanimity and uh, <clears throat> one of the things that I'm quite interested in with with compassion is um sometimes we can feel you know really quite helpless in the face of, um, of somebody's predicament. 
you know, we would really, you know, we we would really like to be able to help, but we don't know how to help. And I find that just coming into the present, uh, you know, being fully present with the breath, with the body, even if you're with somebody who's very, very sick, just aligning your breath with their breath, just tuning in to where they are, tuning into the actual situation, the predicament. What I find then, rather than thinking, oh, I'm a, I'm a Buddhist nun, I should be able to say something wise. I mean, it's embarrassing when I think of some of the wise things I've said. <laughs> I mean, I put wise in inverted commas there. Um, you know, just because of an anxiety of wanting to say something that will be meaningful. And come out with really... And I said a funny story. Oh, funny and tragic at the same time. <laughs> This one lady who I was visiting, and she was actually dying. And um, <clears throat> she's um, <clears throat> she, you know, she, she clearly had a question about about her process of dying. And I said something about being mindful, and she swore at me. <laughs> <laughs> And she was absolutely right, because I was just trying to be wise. I was trying to say the right thing, <laughs> which is kind of understandable, you know, in, in a situation like that. You want to say the right thing. But now what I trust much more than my thinking mind and all of my lists of the different qualities in of, of, of um, Buddhist teachings, what I trust much more now is just the capacity to not know. To be right there, to not know. And maybe you don't say anything. Maybe you're just there with the person. Maybe that's what's needed. Maybe you say something that you think, my goodness, where did that come from? Why did I say that? And it turns out it's exactly the right thing. So learning how to trust the not knowing this resting that sense of of helplessness of acknowledging our our wish to 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 be able to respond in a helpful way you know from a compassionate place but actually being compassionate towards ourselves tuning into our own sense of helplessness and from there allowing a response <clears throat> So compassion is not necessarily saying, oh, you poor thing, I'm going to say something wise, I'm going to help you. <laughs> you know, me and you, and I'm, I'm the one who's going to help you. But entering into relationship, entering into the person's predicament, and very often with, with people who are dying, if you're really there with them, what you find is you learn much more from them than you could ever... Um, share from your own experience because they 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 they're, they're in a particular predicament particular situation particularly significant time in their lives and you know, very attuned and it can be very humbling uh spending time with people at that stage of their lives so to think of compassion 
rather than being, I'm going to help you, is more a willingness to enter into relationship with a person, with a situation, and allowing a response to come from there, from that quality of presence. This doesn't mean that uh, feeling concern, you know, when we hear of somebody's difficulty, is is a bad thing. You know, it's 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 um, a beautiful quality to be to be open and to be the inclination to help. But just to recognise that sometimes, <clears throat> if it's coming from a place of anxiety or a sort of pressure to do something, it's not always going to be the most helpful thing. On the other hand, as Ajahn Sumedha once said, in, a, in, a, in response to a question somebody had about doing the right thing, he said, well, you know, if you want to do something helpful, then just do it. <laughs> you know, don't, don't hold back. If you want to give somebody something or help somebody in some way, just do it. Don't think about it. Just do it. You know, we're so afraid of doing the wrong thing, aren't we? Making a mistake, messing up, making a fool of ourselves. It's really difficult, isn't it, being human? <laughs> it's not an easy thing. Just figuring out, finding the way. <clears throat> um, but we learn through getting it wrong like with this dear friend when she was dying and she said something very rude <laughs> and that was a very good lesson for me <laughs> I learnt I learnt something <laughs> these qualities that I'm talking about Kindness, compassion, joyfulness, serenity. These are what we call the Brahma-viharas, the divine abidings. And they're qualities uh, that arise when we let go of self-concern, preoccupation with me, They're qualities that uh, the Buddha encourages us to to contemplate and and develop. Uh, In our lives. And as I said, we often develop them by getting it wrong. uh, And also by just opening to our own suffering, our own difficulty. That's an aspect that it's 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 something that maybe you might not have thought of um, how our own suffering and really contemplating that, finding the way through it, <coughs> acknowledging it, uh, can be a, a tremendous resource. Uh, so if you do have a something that you feel is a chronic difficulty, really investigate it. Learn as much as you can from it. Be, become an expert. I'm an expert on jealousy. That's one of the things. In fact, that's what brought that, an answer to the question about why I became a nun. That was the answer because I was jealous, and I, I found it such a, 
an unfortunate uh, quality, so unpleasant. And um, I really hated it. And I would do everything I could to get rid of it. And if I couldn't get rid of it, I'd do everything I could to cover it up, pretend everything was fine. But of course, the more I tried to pretend everything was fine, the worse it got. And I was quite sure that the whole world knew about it. And I was very fortunate in having a boyfriend who always knew exactly what was going on. And he would make me acknowledge it, which was very humbling, but he never judged me. So in that way, I began to make friends with it. And then when I uh, began to look more deeply into the Buddha's teachings, that's when I really figured out um, that jealousy is a condition. It's arisen, it will cease. You don't have to hate it, you don't have to fight it. You just have to patiently bear with it. This brings me on to the next Brahmavihara, Mudita. Gladness at the good fortune of others. And I used to ponder this. I remember asking somebody how you could be glad when somebody had something that you wanted and thought you didn't have. (laughs) How could you be glad? And this person said, well, you're just so happy for that other person. Isn't it wonderful? And I wasn't. I hated them. <clears throat> and it took me quite a while to 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 tweak these for myself what was needed was to begin here can i be glad about the blessings about the good fortune of my own life can i celebrate my own good qualities now if you've been brought up uh, in a particular way that's one of the things that can be quite difficult. We're not really encouraged to celebrate our good qualities. In fact, we're encouraged to focus on our faults and to be humble. Uh, but I never really found a very good result from that. Whereas actually being able to acknowledge our own goodness and bring forth a sense of joyfulness about that enabled me to celebrate the success and good fortune of others. Very interesting. So rather than trying to sort of squeeze out a sense of gladness from a heart that just feels so empty, so barren, you know, they've got this thing and I haven't got it. And the more they have it, the more empty I feel, the worse I feel. So instead of you know, trying to squeeze something positive from this barren heart to actually begin to fill it up. Fill it up with a sense of blessing, a sense of of joy, a sense of delight. Just thinking of, you know, the good things that have happened to me, the good things that I've done. And just gradually sort of bringing a sense of fullness and and gladness and joy. And then it, it just flows out naturally. You don't have to squeeze it out. You don't have to generate it. It just happens. So we have to begin here, strangely. That's been my experience. The final uh, Brahma-vihara is equanimity or serenity, upeka. Uh, 
the capacity to hold steady with all of the vicissitudes, the vicissitudes of life, the wonderful things and the terrible things, the successes, the failures, the praise, the blame, the happiness, the suffering, the disappointments, the uh, fame and the shame, these, these worldly winds, uh, which all of us experience. But the thing is, when we're not practicing in this way, we tend to run after the good things. You know, we only want praise. We only want success. We only want fame and recognition. Yeah. We want these positive things. We don't want to fail. We don't want to be blamed. We don't want to be shamed, embarrassed. But the more that we can acknowledge that these things are part and parcel of human life. And in the Buddha himself, he said, there's nobody who is only praised and never blamed. You know, he himself was frequently blamed. I mean, he was greatly revered and uh, loved, but he also received a lot of criticism and blame from different people. I find, I mean, I, I hate being blamed. I hate being criticized. But one of the things I, I try to do and that I find really um, uh, beneficial, you know, if I am being blamed, is to actually stay with that feeling. You know how normally when you're blamed, you try and justify it. You try and, or you try and blame the other person. But, you, you know, somebody finds fault with you, you try and find fault with them. Or you try and justify it. But to be able to just accept when somebody criticizes you or blames you and just notice the, you know, what it feels like. You know, not saying, well, they're right, I'm a terrible person. You know, of course, I, I, of course I'm, I'm, I'm a miserable failure. I shouldn't have done that and so on. But more just accept it. And, um, the Buddha, he said something very interesting about when you're blamed. There are two things to contemplate. One is um, truth. So if you're blamed, you know you know whether it's, it was justified or not. You know whether you actually did what the person was blaming you for or not. Maybe that they've got it completely wrong and that you didn't do whatever it was that you're being criticized for. So... Contemplate that, come to that place. And the other thing is non-harming. So you don't retaliate. You don't blow up back at them or or, or punch them in the nose. <laughs> yeah, so just, just contemplating those things can help us to just stay steady with the feeling of, of being blamed. And from there, just that, that quality of presence can come a suitable response. It may be suitable to offer an explanation. It may be suitable to um, uh, just accept it. Say, thank you very much for pointing that out. Now, how, many, how many of us can do that? Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> Not easy, is it? But somehow, when we um, 
when we experiment with that, we become much less fearful. You know, I don't know about you, but I mean, it's much less now because I've you know, worked on it, but we can be terrified of doing the wrong thing and being blamed. The story I often tell of one of the nuns, she's no longer, long, no longer a nun, sadly, but it was a very public occasion here at Amarawati. A lot of people, and the nuns were sitting up on some kind of, you know, at the front, and Ajahn Sumedha was in the middle, and the monks were on the other side. And uh, this nun, she did something that um, moved something. I think it was a time that people were making offerings, and she, she moved something. And uh, Ajahn Sumedha <coughs> ticked her off, you know, quite publicly. <coughs> And I was really impressed with how she, how graciously she, she took it. You know, she didn't sort of seem to be thrown by it too much. You know, she just listened. And it wouldn't have been appropriate to retaliate, but she just listened. She took it. And then afterwards she said, well, I thought I was doing the right thing, but it turned out not to be the right thing. <coughs> I thought, that's brilliant. You know, how many of us can do that? So equanimity is about learning how to stay steady rather than always reaching out for the good things and trying to avoid the things that we don't like. Just staying steady and recognizing that life is it's like a seesaw. Sometimes you're going to get praised. Sometimes you're going to get blamed. Sometimes you're going to be successful. Sometimes you're going to fail. I used to... I used to do help prepare the newsletter, and we had a photocopier, and uh, we'd have to photocopy hundreds of copies of this thing, and there'd be sort of I don't know four or four or five double-sided pages, and I always used to call the uh, photocopying my equanimity practice, <laughs> because sometimes it would go well, but often it would go disastrously wrong. And it would take three times as long as I had hoped and I'd waste a lot of paper and it would be very, very frustrating. And, you know, if I wasn't doing my equanimity practice, I would get so frustrated, so upset and probably have given up. But I would call it my equanimity practice. Just stay steady, Chandasiri. It's all right. Just keep going. Stay steady. It's okay. And uh, eventually the job would get done. Equanimity is also about um, a response to conditions that we see or hear of around us. Um, and this requires um, a very uh, a very big heart and also my sense is it also requires the capacity to, to be aware of our limitations and not to try to take on too much of the suffering of the suffering of the world. You know, because there are some things that we just can't we can't bear, we can't open to, it's too much. Um you know it's it, so I reflect on equanimity in this way as well. Um you know, we would like to be able to 
to be there, to be present, to to witness all of the the joys and the sorrows of humanity. Um, and it is very wonderful to to celebrate you know, successes. And um, if we can um, stay steady, hold steady when we witness uh, scenes of people in very extreme difficult situations. It, it's wonderful if we can do that. And my sense is that, you know, it's one of the things that um, I contemplated in relation to the Buddha. Like the Buddha, he, he was able to do that. You know, he could, he could view it all with onlooking equanimity. It's interesting that equanimity is, is one of the most um, exalted uh, qualities. It's like the, the highest of the enlightenment factors. It's the fourth of the Brahma-viharas. It's um, on all kinds of lists. It's, it's the highest. And interestingly enough, it's often translated as indifference. Mm-hmm. And you think, no. <laughs> uh, for me, it's a much more vibrant, it's a much more vital um kind of quality of the capacity to witness and to hold steady. Sometimes that's all we can do in a situation is just witness, hold steady, uh, bear with it. So it's something to aspire to um, and to recognize our limitations, not blaming ourselves, beating ourselves up, feeling like a hopeless case, but responding with with compassion, with equanimity. Okay, I don't have the capacity for that right now. I can't bear that. So we bear what we can bear as a as a as a, as an offering. Holding steady, rather getting rather than getting swept away with the with the highs or swept away with the lows, holding steady. What goes up comes down. <laughs> Just one of those things. What is down can go up. Uh, that's life. So to recap, the four Brahmaviharas, uh, metta, or Kindness, loving-kindness, acceptance, acknowledgement. Karuna, compassion, the capacity to, to bear with our own suffering and the suffering of another. Mudita, gladness, at the good fortune of ourselves, our own, the blessings of our own life and the blessings of that we see all around us in other people's lives, their successes, their happiness, their joy. And upeka, equanimity, that capacity to just hold steady. If somebody's having a wonderful time, great, that's fine. Enjoy. If somebody's having a terrible time, okay, bear with it. It'll change. So these beautiful qualities that we can contemplate in our own practice um, 
and that we can generate within our own hearts. So I offer this for your contemplation this evening.